You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Parama. Welcome to the last long yak of 2021. We'll still be having a year-end yak, but this is officially the last long yak. Wow. As is usual for our long yaks, the three of us get together and talk about dramas that we have watched, that we have dropped or are currently watching and really desperately hoping we can finish watching by the end of the year so we can include it in the year and yak. <sighs> it's been a struggle. And if you are struggling to figure out how many dramas you've watched and which ones you've absolutely completed, we have a handy K-drama tracker for you. You'll find it in the descriptions. It's completely free. We hope you have fun with it. Now since this episode is going out absolutely at the end of November, it's perfectly timed for us to ask a favor of you. Just like last year, we want to include our listeners' voice notes in the year-end yak. And for that, we really 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 would love it if you guys would well email us or DM us, send us voice notes of up to 2 minutes. Please don't go over that. and talk to us about dramas of 2021 which had a major impact on you or which ones you thought were stand out dramas like really different from dramas you've seen before or maybe talk to us about a format that you thought was uncommon and drama land should really do more of it tell us what stood out to you in 2021's crop of dramas and we will put that in our year end yak Thank you for your participation beforehand. We're super excited to listen to your voice notes and if you can't figure out how to send them into us there is going to be a link in our description and also in our LinkedIn bio on Instagram or Twitter where you can basically just upload your voice note file. That's it. It's for voice note submissions. You can upload your file from your mobile, from your desktop, it doesn't matter. Just use the link. It's in the description. And yeah, please send them in. We are really looking forward to listening to them. And what final note before jumping into the episode we have started our December reviews that we do on Twitter so if you're on Twitter please use the hashtag #dramasover2021 and send us reviews of any and all dramas that you watched in 2021 uh we do this throughout December this is basically like our way of appreciating what 2021 gave us We do it on Twitter because hey, writers like a challenge. Tell us your reviews in 280 characters. Have fun. And of course, we will retweet all reviews that you send us through that hashtag. And if all the listeners are a bit confused, yes, we used to have a different hashtag for this December review thing. It used to be hashtag December dramas, but that turned out to be like super confusing and we finally decided to upgrade. So, please use hashtag dramas over 2021 and onwards we go this episode is brought to you by kensington's us title by rebecca weatherspoon a thorn in the saddle set on a black owned luxury dude ranch with a fairy tale twist this romance by rebecca weatherspoon captivates with a modern take on beauty and the beast as a brawny rancher and a brainy beauty find themselves in a beast of a predicament Ranch owner Jesse Pleasant always felt too big for his desert town, literally, and too brutish to fit in with his charming cowboy brothers. After his temper gets the best of him one too many times, he's ready to accept the truth. He's cursed to be alone. But when the Senate Selection Committee comes looking for a man of his public standing, he knows this might be the chance to prove to his family and friends that he can keep his cool all the while giving back to his community. There's only one problem. 
While Jesse definitely has a mind for business, his people skills are more than lacking. Former tech consultant Lily Grace LaRue has had it up to her hat with hot-tempered men who think they know what's best, especially a big-headed rancher set on keeping her widowed father from dating his grandmother. <laughs> but after Lily Grace learns of Jesse's softer side during a painfully awkward showing at a community date auction, one thing becomes clear. While Jesse Pleasant is not ready to run for public office, he might be ready for love. Against her better judgment and despite their rocky start, Lily Grace warms to the sparks flying between them. She never dreamed they would build their own connection, one destined for its own happily ever after. Hi everyone, I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I'm Parma. Welcome to Along Yak! After a super long time. Yeah. <laughs> did you miss us? I feel like saying, did you miss me? <laughs> What is that a reference to? I don't get it. Sherlock, come on. Oh, I haven't watched that in like four years. I object because that was like the worst thing ever. That was just, that was horrible. That whole Sherlock thing was horrible. So yeah, therefore, memorable. we do not refer to it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say that, I say it in his voice. <laughs> oh man, I loved that so much in the beginning and then... And then it went so... I haven't even finished it. I was so disappointed I didn't finish the last two episodes. Me neither. I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. But I don't know. Is the magic gone? I think the magic is gone. The magic's so gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> it's buried. It's It's been forgotten. This is not a Sherlock podcast. Yes. So actually, the yak that Borma and I did together, I talked about this one drama which now I will not be talking about and you two are going to both be talking about. So should we start with that? And that's Police University. So I finished it and Borma, you haven't. Do you want to go first? And should I spoil you about what I think about it? You can spoil me about it. Absolutely. I pretty much know where it's headed to at this point. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's not even a spoiler. I was so pleasantly surprised by this. It does that fine balancing thing between showing us that warm-hearted, earnest young cops and also the cynical detectives who just don't really abide by the law in their pursuit of solving a case and how harmful that can be. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like a feel-good drama, so it doesn't really go super deep into that. But I do like that they show both sides of it and don't try to, like, I don't know, whitewash everything. But also it's just so warm and sweet and you have like nerdy kids falling in love with each other and I mean teachers being super cute and like competitive and it's just it's everything is like very adorable about the show. How many episodes have you seen? I think at this point I've seen about 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah I mean this is a drama of two halves I would say and everything you said is true. Like when you watch the first few episodes you're like oh it's like, you know, the campus drama, the school drama. Right. It's got all of those feelings. And Jin Young is so good. Oh my good. God, yes. I was not expecting that. Like, I don't remember him in things that I've seen him before. I don't remember him being a particularly shining actor. But he's so endearing and so lovable and so earnest. Like, the drama is so earnest and he's so earnest in it. And it's just delightful like that's really the word it's charming and it's delightful and everything about that process of them being new students mm. and the you know the whole friendship group you know like I was talking about when we were previewing it I was saying how I kind of wanted it to be like midnight runners 
So it fulfills yeah. that in in the best possible way. Yes, exactly. And because they're so much younger mm. than, you know, Park Sojin and Kang yeah. and because it's, you know, it's not that kind of edgy film type of thing, it's it's meant to be this warm-hearted drama. So it's got all of that and it's wonderful. So before you go on, I watched episodes one through eight and I think mm-hmm. I talked about them in the last yak and I mentioned all of this stuff and I had been having some issues with Chatehan's character because mm-hmm. I was like, this character is kind of the backbone of this drama, but I don't think that they're doing a good job with his character. Like he was very inconsistent. Sometimes he was mm-hmm. like a nice mentor. Other times he's just like a terrible person and a terrible mm-hmm. cop and like everybody was giving him a pass. And then we got to the end of episode eight and I was like, I don't think this is going in a direction where I'm going to be like satisfied with the ending. So I just stopped. And now I want to hear what you have to say about the rest of the show, Saya. I actually don't think of Chatehyun as the main character of the show. I think Jin Young really is. However, their relationship is the main relationship mm-hmm. of the show. And it does that so well, except for the fact that Chatehyun is this character, as you say, who is inconsistent and like more bad than he is good like i don't understand why he's meant to be this legendary police officer he's rubbish Rubbish, yeah he's like genuinely rubbish (laughs) he doesn't do anything right he's always running off without his partners he's always like he's endangering citizens he is he's really bad his police car crashed into jin young's like character sun ho's car with his father in it and his father was injured and this man didn't even have the decency to properly apologize to them he just acted as if like he was the wrong person and stomped off because his investigation was being hindered i mean i pretty much disliked him throughout (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i feel like they're asking you to believe something that isn't there so it's the kind of suspension of disbelief that doesn't work yeah and it's not like one time like he was bad like that for a long time and then he had like a serious incident that like kind of served as a moment for his like waking up and character development he just continuously does bad things has really bad consequences he's like i'll never do that again and then he does it again like his next breath exactly it just made me so mad just for context a mild spoiler here as you would expect because the show wants us to have sympathy for his character the show gives us a reason somebody in a refrigerator of his past yeah. <laughs> who, who made him this way and therefore everybody gives him a pass everybody's like oh he's so distraught it still does not make him a good police officer it doesn't but everybody's like well he's sad and therefore <laughs> oh please we're all sad come on man anyway so that's not even like what I was trying to say don't use a dead woman to <laughs> excuse your moral ineptitude and your failings his incompetence I think that bothers me the most he's just incompetent as a cop and we're meant to believe he's great yep. I, I agree. He doesn't do anything right. <laughs> and I actually really, really enjoy the few times when Jin Young's like, I don't think that is a path that I'm willing to take or like disagrees with him because, for instance, Chatehyun at earlier episodes, in earlier episodes, because he really doesn't want Jin Young's character to stay in the academy, basically gives him like a lot of lectures about like, you know, earnestness and honesty and doing things by the law and stuff. And then later on when he has to solve a case, He's like, let's do this outside the law. Such a hypocrite. And then Jin Young, no, no, but this is precious. And Jin Young's like, but you taught me that I have to do this in the law. And therefore I will. Let's figure out a way so that we can stay within the bounds of the law. I did really like that. I did. I did like that. But at the same time, I'm just like, you're such a hypocrite, dude. So the whole crime plot aspect of the show was completely lame. The show just... 
it wouldn't commit to like this case that you know the gambling ring and whatever like there was no real peril but it pretended like there was peril and pretend peril is not compelling <laughs> so you had pretend stakes for pretend peril and nobody really got hurt so again that lowers the stakes even more every time people got hurt you were like oh my god they're dead no they're not they just <laughs> go to hospital and like the bounce back rate of all of the characters in this show is just like it's Incredible. The survival rate is great. Yeah. <laughs> but also it just wasn't interesting and it wasn't well done. And I felt that because it tried to intertwine that plot of the student life with the this, you know, case, the villains were so unsatisfying. And then the villains, they like it wasn't the show wasn't even willing to make its villains bad. Like the villain I don't even remember the actor's name right now to tell you who it is, but I'm sure like up by episode 14, it's already clear. So they were like, oh, but he meant to do a good thing and it just kind of went bad. And oh, good he's really a good person. And you actually then asked to feel sorry for him, you know, doing the right thing in the wrong way or just like being a victim of circumstance rather than being an actual criminal. Like, he's accidentally committed crimes and he feels terrible. And now he's going to go and pay the price for them because he has to set an example. And so it neither set up the case well, nor did it resolve the case well, nor did it make you care about the case while it was happening. And in essence, the show belly flopped all the way to the end. And then Mm. only by the end, it gives you... But the problem is, despite doing that, All of the student life portions were just kind of so nice and heartwarming. You did hang around for that. I know. Because you kept waiting for those parts. Yeah. (laughs) And like they had this really nice, no-nonsense romance relationship, which was unmarred by love triangles between Crystal and Jin Young. And that was just so nice. And the way that they resolved. They're so cute. They are so cute. And I feel like this is like best Crystal because she was a similar kind of character in Search the one with Jang Dong-yoon. And, you know, those kind of... The character who... Like, she's a straight character. Like, she just plays her character really straight. But it's very endearing. And she's got the right delivery for that. And also, like, every role she has, she improves. Mm, I agree with that. I know people say that she's very limited as an actress and all of that, but she is a person who gets better with every character she does. Do people actually say that? Like, but why? Do you know what it is? I think I think when people have prejudices against someone when they meet them, they kind of carry that prejudice over. Mm. They're like, oh, Crystal again. And rather than giving them that chance to sort of improve and judge. She was pretty green when she first started acting and she is a K-pop mm. star like first. But that doesn't mean mm. that she hasn't gotten better. Yeah. Or that she's not working on her craft. Yeah. yeah and now she has a really great like kind of earnest screen presence. And, she, you know, she like mm. has that gravitas like you notice when she's on the screen you know and she has a style I'm not saying like her range is unlimited but what she does do she does well yeah look most actors don't have unlimited range that's like (laughs) the outlier but the thing is I was exposed to her I barely remember her in airs she was just like the side doll there like super jealous of Park constantly that she was so funny in airs though yeah that was the first time I actually enjoyed her was in airs that might have been her best character, despite everything she's done. I think, like, Ibona, I think her name was Bona, was her best character. That was fine. But I actually really liked her in Bride of Habeck, where oh, she was right. she played this goddess. And 
she basically stole the show. She was like a side <laughs> character and she was the most interesting character there. Speaking of actors, we have prejudices against. I still have a prejudice against Namji Hyuk. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, what can I say? I really like him. <laughs> In practically everything he's like, oh, I started watching Who Are You 2015. Oh no, he's the absolute worst in that. That's why I'm prejudiced against him. Okay, he's not the absolute worst. He is. <laughs> well, wait until you finish the show. Then he is. I'm not going to finish the show. Oh, okay. I already know what happens towards <laughs> the end of the show. And I refuse to finish the show if it's going in the direction that I know it's going. It's just, I'm not going to do it. I'll tell you what he does in that show the more he goes on. Do not on. tell me. Do not. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Can I tell you for the edification of our listeners? Okay, then. <laughs> or do you really not want me to? No, no, it's okay. I mean, I've seen enough of him and I can kind of see where he built on this particular character to do weightlifting later on. And it actually shined in weightlifting, whereas it completely did not in Who Are You? But it doesn't really matter because I just like him as an actor in whatever role he does. It just works for me and I can understand why it wouldn't work for you. He has certain mannerisms and certain ways of delivery that just will not work for everyone. Well, that's the thing too, right? Like our relationships with these actors is also, there's like a segment of that, how much we like them. That's just purely personal preference and like chemistry is the wrong word but like whether you click with the way somebody is on screen like there are people where I'm like objectively you're a great actor but I just don't you do nothing for me kind of like there are people like that right and you're just like yeah. I don't want to watch anything this person is in it's nothing against yeah. that person but he is amazing in weightlifting fairy which he did after school 2015 right I liked him yeah. a lot in that yeah so that's police university what's next so we're just going to quickly go over Squid Game because we did release three wild yaks on this. I mostly just want to hear a little bit of Saya's reaction to the last, like kind of the ending. I mean, we're not going to spoil it, but she wasn't in the last yak. I did that with K-Fangirl from the Fangirl Verdict. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I abandoned you because I just disliked it so much that I was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I think K-Fangirl liked the ending a lot more than I did. And she kind of laid out her arguments in that spoil the act. And I was like, okay, that's fair. You've kind of convinced me. But I think like my experience mm -hmm. of watching the last three episodes was not very good. Yeah. Like there were parts of them I liked. But in general, I just feel like episode six was kind of the peak. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was like, eh. I also realized after I listened to yours and K-Fangirl's episode that it's also down to how you interpret how the show played out. And... She interpreted it in quite a different way to how I did. And so I can see if I were to follow that interpretation, okay, I get why you would come out of it feeling, oh, that was good. For example, like the very ending scene, I was just like, no. Barma, take off your headphone for a, <laughs> your headphones for a second. Wait, are you going to spoil it? Spoiler warning if you haven't watched Squid Game, though I feel like at this point everyone has watched it. But if you don't want to know what happens right at the end, take off your headphones or whatever or fast forward for about 30 seconds, I guess. So what I felt like the end proved was that he had not that it was hopeful, but that it was the opposite of hopeful, that he mm. had been lured back into the game. Like his choice was not to come out of the hole and go to his door. His choice was like a compulsion to go back in. Like it's a gambler's compulsion, right? So that's how I saw that ending. And I was just like, mm. for me, the point is there are no winners. There are never any winners. Everyone's a loser. And you're all being eaten by the system. And that's how it works. 
So that was realistic but depressing and I just hated that whole... Like, as soon as the VIP showed up, it just stopped. Like, the show took a turn when the VIPs turned up. Mm. Yeah, I didn't hate it, but I also... I do feel like... Yeah. I Even though, like, I understand the whole, like, dystopic, misanthropic, and mm. we're all doomed kind of nature of the sentiments as a viewing experience, I just felt like yeah. it wasn't that satisfying because of the ending. And also just, like, the... The narrative tension just dropped yes, so exactly. much. And like it set up questions without answering them in a way that was satisfying. Right. Like, you know, Frontman yes. and Weihajun. That didn't seem to me like a well-written end. And I don't believe that the writer-director, Bang dong intended for that to ever have a second season, I think. He didn't. And now mm. they've announced... Oh, they have? ...that they're having oh, a second okay. season. They just announced it a couple days ago. Yeah, I saw it. So maybe they'll answer those questions... Yeah. Maybe Weihajun didn't die. <laughs> I feel like it was pretty obvious that he did, but then, like, many people still have hope that he's alive, so... But because you haven't seen the body and because there's a second season, right. it would make sense for that to be a yeah. reason to pick it back I up. I mean, in, in real life, you can't survive that fall. But anyway, <laughs> so, okay, and and spoilers. Yes, and spoilers. And that's also it for our very long discussion on Squid Game, but... Don't forget that you can go and check out, we've got the preview episode in the What's Up in Dramaland. We've got a three-part Wild Yak, which each block deals with three episodes. So go ahead and listen at your own leisure. Okay, and next we are going to be talking about a little series on Netflix called My Name. First, well done for your prediction. <laughs> I mean, we were halfway through episode one and I was like, yeah, P was right. <laughs> so it's not even really a spoiler then, I guess, if it's it's in episode one. But it still might be for some people. I guess we should protect them. Yes, we won't spoil it. But the prediction I made was basically about mm. how the story pans out, which it kind of exactly does. But to give credit where it's very, very much due, it's in the execution. Execution, execution, execution. Oh my God. <laughs> I loved it so much. Yeah, this show is like, it's a tutorial on how execution can make anything good, including a very formulaic kind of story. Like, there's nothing new in the story. Nothing. It's absolutely as you would predict. But the execution elevates it to the level where you are just so hooked on how it happens, how you get there, the emotional journey that you go on as it all goes down. But you know what? Sometimes that's not, that's a feature, not a bug. Like sometimes you want an exact thing mm -hmm. and you want it done really well and and it's exactly what you want and it's like extremely satisfying that's and true. you're good. <laughs> so it's good to know. There's definitely a trend Recently, or maybe not recently, but there's definitely a trend for people to want new things, like new stories done in new ways, and to be shocked all the time by the unexpected things. And especially like in thrillers and crime stuff, you want to be surprised. Hmm. You don't want to guess everything that happens. But when you do guess everything that happens, to have that feel how my name felt. Ooh. And speaking of episode six, episode six of My Name is 
like the jewel in the crown of 2021's dramas, I think. Wow. That one episode is like a master episode. It's a short series, right? No, it's eight episodes long. Oh, okay. But episode six is like the apex of the show. Have both of you finished it? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> I had to stop myself watching it all the way to the end because at episode six, I was like, I have to write this before I watch the Like, I have to write the essay that is in my head before I finish. Are we going to get to read this essay? Please, <laughs> please, please put it on the blog. <laughs> I want to read it. <laughs> I've just got notes that have not yet become an essay. So let's say it's 75% essay and 25% work that may never be done. You know, I have this weird thing that I've told you guys about before where like if I'm watching a drama with an actor in it, like I can't yeah. watch another drama <laughs> with the same actor because it like messes with my head. So I have to finish mm-hmm. Yumi Cells before I can get to the next Anbohyan that I'm going to fall in love with. So <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so behind. It wouldn't be a problem. These are two completely different people. Oh, my God. They are just like two different beings from alternate universes. He's so good at that, you know, like he uh. just transforms into whatever role he's given and you're just like wow I don't even think of who you really are in real life yeah yeah agreed so Burma what are your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> me having shouted all of my enthusiasm out to the, to the universe I don't usually watch a lot of revenge dramas again this my name is a lot more in the vein of how Korean movies do revenge yes. than how yes, Korean dramas absolutely. do revenge And I tend to avoid that kind of stuff because actually there's only one reason. It always ends with like a sad, sad thing where somebody I really care about dies. Yes. That is the feeling they want to leave you with. Yeah. And because I I knew that going into the genre, it's it's just something that I avoid is is what I'm getting Mm -hmm. at. But my name was just, okay, first of all, I watched it like I started off for Han Sohi. I wanted to see how how she would do the character. I mean, is it going to be as Anissa had like kind of feared when we were doing our WhatsApp in Trauma Land that she's like going to be like the generic strong, strong woman, like the strong female character who's like punching her way out of things and and stuff. But her every punch, her every move, every time she won a fight came at such a cost to her. Like Mm. really good superhero stories, for instance, always has like magic has... A price. Mm. You pay the price and, and that is what makes you a truly amazing, I don't know, a wizard, superhero, whatever you will be. And it's kind of like that. She mm. gained her prowess. And it, again, it, it never discounts. Okay, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. I can't believe <laughs> I didn't start with this. This, forget about the story. I don't, I mean, it comes a distant second to the fight scenes. The fight scenes were poetry in motion. I mean... What is that? Every fight scene has a story. Every person Mm. involved in it has a weighted motive. There is nobody in a fight scene just because you want to see bodies fall. If Mm. there are casualties, it's because something has been building up to that casualty happening. Or if somebody dies, there are repercussions. It it reverberates throughout the story. The so high stakes. Can we just... 
just talk a second about how they never, never forget that Hansori is a woman. She has limitations in, her, in how strong she is, that even if she is fighting with an average male fighter, she is at a disadvantage because he's bigger, he has, you know, musculature, more muscle mass, and therefore she has to be smarter and faster and sometimes just more ruthless. And I love it so, so damn much. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know how I like actors to be detectives and stuff. Yes, police yes, officers. we know. <laughs> so it's, but like, I've never actually said why. So let me tell you now why. The reason that I find that particular iteration of an actor really appealing is because it strips away like the glamour. And that actually might not be how they are in real life at all, but it makes you feel like you're seeing them in real life, right? They're scruffy, they're unshaven, they're messy, they're in clothes that I could wear. They feel more real, they feel more grounded and relatable and messy and less makeup. Less shiny and distant. Exactly. So it's not just male actors that I think this is great on. I think like Hansuhi in this is so good oh. as this like scruff, scrappy fighter and police officer who is constantly, you know, fighting. She's like Borama says, like the fight choreography and this is amazing. Just by watching it, you can read how agile and competent she is like there's no waste there's like the economy of motion the efficiency and it's it's efficient and brutal in a way that is very economical and elegant so that's what makes it just better of course it's choreographed but it doesn't feel stylized Mm. it feels real and even you know when like the sound that they like the punches sound like punches. They don't sound like they're like overdone. They actually sound like the actual impact of a fist hitting flesh or you know that kind of thing. It's so good <laughs> and sad. Did I say that? Oh. No, we're not we're not we're not we're not going into the actual story because that would be a massive spoiler. But like Pakistan as a character who is so the main the I guess three main characters in the show are Hansohi, Anbohyun and Pakistan's character is probably the best character in the entire show. So good. And like, this is why you you look at those actors and you're like, you should do dramas more because they can bring you the entire... It's not just range, it's the way that certain emotions interdigitate with others. Because... Nice word. (laughs) (laughs) How do you play these two very conflicting or not even two like two is just being ungenerous but he has so many conflicting emotions isn't even the right word there's so much going on and he's able to show you that conflict without any of it jarring and he's also able to make you understand what he's going through If I write my essay, I'll write about it. (laughs) I've definitely got it in my notes. If I say anything else now, it will just spoil it. Mm. Yeah. He was... And while juggling the many different personas and emotions, states of being, there actually wasn't a conflict between them. He was all of them. Mm -hmm. He was evil and good and emotional and loyal and deceitful and and spiteful and everything. 
you have put this so well. I'm like, the 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 brain cells in me that delight when things are like well written are just like firing off right now. <laughs> uh, it just, but you know, you need stories that good to make you feel this strongly about something and for once be eloquent. <laughs> mm. So it was it was that good. It was that good, guys. <laughs> I want to write that out. <laughs> Do it and post it on the blog. (laughs) (laughs) Give it to me on a (laughs) t-shirt. So that's my name. Next up is Junison, which is a drama for which we had very high hopes. And man, okay, so this drama, it's six episodes in. I've watched every episode. I was really looking forward to this one, but I forgot. I mean, I haven't been watching anything because I'm a failure as a K-drama fan, but I want to know what you thought of of this because I'm excited for it. So I'm definitely still watching and I will probably watch it all the way to the end. But it's it's unusual. So it's this weird mix of sort of slice of life and paranormal thriller and maybe murder mystery as well. But I can't figure out at this point whether it's like a muddled show or a complex work of genius. So like the slice of life parts are actually really, really good. Like you'd love those parts. Mm. So it's about the daily life of mountain ranger. And it's so interesting because, man, I don't know anything about mountain rangers. I don't know anything about mountains. You know, I live in a flat country. <laughs> um, we have no mountains. <laughs> and I've never been to a mountain. I've only seen them from the window of an airplane. And I thought it looked like chocolate mousse. So that's like my experience of mountains. And I know like for both of you, that's very different. So I think you'd be able to appreciate the actual mountain bits but also you know this is what drama is all about right it's the vicarious living of things you may never see things you have never seen and you really get to appreciate it in a way that is enriching to your knowledge of the world the things you want to experience in the world as well even if you never physically do so so that part is amazing like the scenery is epic and it really the show cinematography just really it's just in love with the setting it's so good in that sense and have you guys watched twin peaks no have you heard oh, about yeah, of course like i just people are always talking about this it's like twin peaks yeah i never watched it okay so did i but i also was on this role last year where i was like in the mood for sort of english language thrillers and Twin Peaks kept coming up in the list. I was like, okay, fine. I will watch it now. Yeah, because we're like slightly too young to have caught the fever of that yeah. when it was like all anybody was talking about, right? Yeah, and like, you know, when people talk about like the Lynchian feel of things and they're talking about David Lynch, the director. And so like I've begun to, um, having watched the first season and a little bit more, and then it just got a bit too weird for me. So I was like, okay, Twin Peaks, I'm just going to go back to K-drama <laughs> now, bye. And so... <laughs> It's got a weirdness to it, which is both like kind of funny in a dark kind of way, but also creepy supernaturally. It's just, it's it's weird. Yeah, I can't describe it any better than that. It's very Lynchian. <laughs> so you've got that. So what Jiri-san is, is we've talked about the mountain ranger side. Then you've got Juji Hoon's character, who is this newly arrived mountain ranger, and he is partnered with more experienced ranger, John Ji Hyun. And she grew up on the mountain, like she's local. The mountain is in her blood. But Juji Hyun arrives with a mystery around him. And the mystery is that he seems to know things about things that happen on the mountain. And sometimes they lead to dead bodies. 
And so you're watching this for like two or three episodes and you're like, I'm not quite sure what's happening. Feels very Lynchian. <laughs> but without the kind of comedy part of it, like the weird, funny part of it. So it's kind of playing the paranormal part straight, except you don't know if it's paranormal or not. You don't really know what's happening. So it, it feels kind of Twin Peaks in a non-comital kind of way. Like it's got the atmosphere, but not the kitsch. Mm. So it's not quite weird enough to be really Lynchian, as they say, but it's got the mood of it. So it's got the, the mood of Twin Peaks and the mountains, this expanse of like empty space, dead bodies and secrets. That's all very Twin Peaks-y. So yeah, I'm watching it out of loyalty to Signal, but I'm not sure... Like, it hasn't put out all its pieces yet, so I don't know if... It's kind of like Sisyphus in the sense that you're watching it in the beginning and you're not quite sure where you're going. I am patient enough for this drama to let it lay out all its pieces and then let it become, like, amazing. But whether it will or not, I don't know. But it is enjoyable. It's also a bit confusing. It's very alinear. And it's Kim and he, so you're, like, willing to give her more chances, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember also that I didn't love Yuryung, uh, what was that one called? Ghost, which was one of her earlier dramas. I didn't hate it, it was good, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it the way I mm. love Signal. And I haven't watched Kingdom, so I'm not sure like how that compares. But yeah, I'm willing to give it a chance. How's the chemistry between Jujuhun and Dandehan? Very enjoyable. The, see, this is what you, you'd love about it. You know, with the slice of life parts, you've got that wider en ensemble cast who they have their own little stories, their own little victories, their own little, you know, struggles and difficulties. So you've got Oh Jung-se, who is also in the show. You've got Song Dong-il, you've got Johan Chol. So these are all people you know very well. Yeah, A plus. exactly. So, and other people whose names I can't remember right now, but they're all very familiar to you. So whenever they come on screen, you're like, oh, you, oh, I remember you, oh, oh it's you. So you're doing that constantly. And it's it's very enjoyable in that sense, but it is like tonally a little weird. And it does seem to not have committed to a particular end game. And, and the alinearity, like in the commentary, in, in other viewers' comments that I've read about it, a lot of people find the alinearity of it quite confusing. But I can appreciate that. That's something that I have been known to enjoy. I do like alinear stories, but I also like the show to know it. Do you mean that it's not like linear in time? Like it? Oh, it time skips a lot. Okay. Yeah, a lot. Like it goes back and forth a lot. You're not necessarily always sure what time you're in. The present as we know it is very different to the past that you meet them in. So... And I don't want to spoil things, okay, okay. but it is very different. <laughs> Does it have like a case of the week type thing? Because I saw on the cast list that there are like different sets of cast for different cases. It does have different cases, but they it does seem to also be sort of a unified story overall. Okay. Like the cases are all related. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. <laughs> If I've sold it to you, I don't know if it's sold it to me. You've sold it to me, at least. I definitely want to watch it. Oh, good. I don't know. I feel like the last couple of months, I've just haven't had the time or the energy or the mental like space to watch K-dramas. And that makes me sad because mm. there's so many shows that are like either just come out or just finished that I yeah. really want to watch. So, Well, the good thing is that the longer you leave it, the less you have to wait for next episode. That's true. But it's, then there's also more to watch and then I feel the pressure of like, even with things that I love, like I like we're going to talk about Yumi Cells next and I'm only on episode seven 
And I know that it's really good because everyone has told me that it's really good. But I'm just like, so many episodes. Oh, no, that's the worst thing they can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, in all seriousness, it is the worst thing a person can tell you about a drama that you haven't had the time to finish it. (laughs) And I'm starting a new full time job soon. So who knows when? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) If there will ever be time again. (laughs) I mean, it's exciting, but it's also sad for my K-drama life. (laughs) Love finds a way. Yeah, it it kind of does. And also, I found that like when I stopped committing to watching K-dramas, like, oh, this is coming out. I am going to watch it. I think I did a lot less of that in this month's What's Up with Drama Land. (laughs) But that was just because, like, I've given up, man. Yeah, I I find that if I am going to watch something, I'm going to end up watching it. it. There's no point in having a watch list or trying to, like, desperately, you know finish up episode like for instance I still haven't finished in the distance spring is green mm-hmm. I don't mind every other week I go back and watch one episode oh. that's that's fine I actually like this pace I'm enjoying it I know I'm not gonna drop it yeah but if I have put the pressure on myself that I have to finish it I am probably gonna end up dropping it so yeah I'm just chilling oh, I actually feel really stressed out when I am halfway through a drama and I haven't gone back to it <laughs> then let it be if the time ever comes you'll go back to it it's fine well, I mean, the year and yak is coming and I'm like, I've watched eight dramas to completion this year. So. Yeah, I haven't calculated it yet, but it's really low for me too. also like I'm going to talk about this later, but I've been watching my industry with my mom for like a year. Which is just, <laughs> and we're still enjoying it, but it's just taking us so long. It's the enjoyment that counts. So is that all your thoughts on Chiri-san then? That is all of my thoughts on Chiri-san. Okay, then. And now we move on to Yumi Cells. Your favorite. Ah. (laughs) Oh my God, this drama just made my year. I don't think in just one and a half months, there will come a drama that can possibly topple this. So I'm pretty much declaring it right now. This is my favorite drama of the year. Ah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, you're going to be doing a spoiled yak on this with our friend, just me. So we're not going to spend too much time on this now, right? Yeah. But I... I think I'm like partway through episode seven and I just want to like, I'm excited to finish as I mentioned, but also feeling pressured <laughs> because you guys love it so much. But I really love how I was, I had a lot of doubts about this because I really wasn't sure how they were going to make this animated and live action. And like also the, even in episode one, I was like, wait, the cells are like, it doesn't make sense, right? Because me, me and my sister were like, this is like inside out. But like, instead of emotions, there's cells. Like, how does that even work? But it doesn't matter. Like, once you kind of accept the the premise at the, for what it is, you know, like the fact that like the hunger cell is her primary cell is so <laughs> relatable to me. I'm like, yes. Like when the hunger cell, when she gets really hungry, the hunger cell gets like really big and he like rampages through the village. It's great. Like, well, that sounds familiar. It, it is, right? But short note here, the hunger cell isn't her primary cell. The love cell is a primary cell, but... Oh, right, right. It's my primary cell. You, you would forget that if you see the hunger cell. Yes. But also, how amazing is it that the hunger cell always like wakes up at the most inappropriate moment, which is exactly how it works in real life. And you're going through tragedy, but you're very hungry. <laughs> It's like really funny and cute. And at the same time, it's extremely emotionally intelligent Mm. about, you know, people and about relationships. And it's hard to find like a heroine like Yumi, which is she has a lot of issues and 
you you can see that she has a lot that she needs to work on and she's extremely relatable but like she's never annoying yeah in the way that sometimes they try to write like flawed heroines and you're just like i don't really like you very much exactly <laughs> you know, like i'm not you know but like you're rooting for her you like her from the beginning she's so I don't know. They just did such a great job. And also, like, Kim Gwen's acting is just... I mean, she's an amazing actress, but she does so well in this role. And I don't have associations with any of her other roles that she's played. She's just Yumi. And she does such a good job as Yumi. And then you have An Bohyun, who is just like... <laughs> who is this man? Like, the first time you see him, you're just like, who are you? Like, what are you doing in a Korean drama? Like, you're too... Okay, this is... Wait, hold on. Did you just insult all of Korean drama? No. Just for Han He just has a very different quality of handsomeness in this show that I haven't seen. He's like a... You know those, like, those dramas that are set in, like, Hawaii and everyone's, like, surfing all the time? He's, like, one of those people who are, like, you know, tanned and they wear shorts and flip-flops, but you're, like, this is the best outfit for you. Like, long hair. He's, like, actually brown, which I'm, like, yay. Somebody who actually was allowed to have a tan. Yeah. And, like, he's weird, but he's, like, weirdly hot. I don't know. It's weird. So... That, I was just like, this is a very different, it's very different from like the typical male lead beauty, right? Like, and he also, the last thing I saw him in was in Kairos. And I was just like. He was so creepy. <laughs> yeah, like his character is so different. I mean, I really liked him in Kairos mm. too. He did an amazing job at Kairos. And by the end, you actually really feel a lot of sympathy for his character. And you can understand like his motivations, even though he's a bad guy. But yeah, just like kudos to both of them for their performances because they're amazing and like, I just really love them. Yeah, I, I'm like on board for the rest of this ride. I think it's just so, so good. Yeah, I'll go deeper into my thoughts in the Spoiliac, but I just really wanted to say the cast and the crew, they have done such a stellar job. And I just recently started reading the webtoon, even though I probably shouldn't because... Of course, I mean, it's going to go past the point where season one stopped. There, There is yes. going to be a second season because the story hasn't ended. But it's actually ended at a very natural stopping point. And I'm perfectly happy if a second season never happens. The story still has completed for me. Mm. However, the webtoon actually does go forward. And I'm a little scared that if I get too into the webtoon, I will go ahead and read it. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out if I should keep reading. I'm going to talk to just me who has read the entire webtoon. And discuss whether I should continue or just stop till season two comes out. <laughs> but my point for like mentioning all of that was if you read the webtoon and then if you go watch the animation, the adaptation, live action and animation part, it rarely happens that an adaptation is that pure and faithful and yet like greater than the sum of what the writing was. It's, it's like the best kind of adaptation. You took the story that was given, kept it faithfully, but also made it amazing. So the music, I am humming it like during walks. I was going to say that next. <laughs> the music is so good. Just everything. The, the, the imagery, the music, the moves, every single dialogue is quotable. It's just, it hits you. And this is one of those dramas that I'm not ashamed to admit. I have already started rewatching because just you can't <laughs> help yourself. <laughs> Also, like, I, I feel like we don't mention this enough. The jokes are so good. They're funny. They're actually funny. Like, I was laughing out loud unironically. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, and, it, and also, I think it takes a much... Just the last point. It's, 
it does such a good job of investigating relationships like your state when you're alone your state when you're in a relationship the thoughts that go through not just the woman's head but the man's head and how they can come out in the interaction between the two and these are things that are not like you know the cells aren't like cells of things that we have names for in our brain and our heart and all of it it's like cells of situations that happens inside your brain that are triggered by certain circumstances i mean like there is this one cell that basically just creates panic when you're in a really bad mood <laughs> that's all it does or <laughs> like the anxiety cell oh. I was like, oh god, <laughs> it's too real. Sounds or like, real. or like the there's like this bulletin board of like thoughts, which yeah. I loved. You know, yeah, like there's the thoughts that at the end of the day, and then like which ones do they want to keep, and which ones they should like get rid of and throw away. And yeah, yeah it's great. There's so many little details. Huh. Basically, watch it yourself. Don't let us spoil it for you. Just watch it. Go watch it. <laughs> yes, and, we, and then we will look forward to your spoiled yak. Which... I feel this instruction was specifically for me, who has not watched it. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I hang my head in shame. So that's Yumi's Cells, which we highly, highly recommend. So the next drama we want to talk about is The King's Affection, which we were all very excited for. And Boroma and I are watching. I'm six episodes in... But that's not where it's up to, right? How far is it, Edna? It's ten episodes in. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I guess I might as well start with my downer side of this first. If you guys have listened to our wild yak on the King's Affection, you will know that I was so enthusiastic that I was like, my shouting volume had gone up a great deal in that episode. <laughs> yeah, I think I need to judge how much I like dramas by like my shouting quotient on the, the decibels of shoutingness. <laughs> so yeah, one and two were so good. But then I kind of felt like it went in the direction that I didn't want it to go after that, which was dwelling very much on this romance that I wasn't really buying. And I think that was the problem. Like, you need to build more for me as a viewer to be invested in the romance. Like, there needs to be more actual, meaningful and substantial interactions between them. Like, there needs to, you need to build something for me to be invested in it. And it just kept relying on these, you know, the old tropes of like falling into his arms and just reaching for something on a high shelf. And he's like, I have to catch you. Our faces are inches apart. And suddenly I'm noticing your doe-like eyes. I mean, I was watching that thinking, ah, she has doe-like eyes. And it's like, that's not really, (laughs) ah, that's not my kind of enjoyment. I get if other people really enjoy that, but I was like, can I have more court politics and intrigue? Because those parts were so interesting. Yeah. Like, stakes. Give me stakes. And all they had was this longing looks. So they didn't actually even get to the longing part in episode six. Until episode six. Moon-eyed looks. The important thing is that there is longing in later episodes, but it's just idiotic until episode six because yes. their relationship, I mean... There okay, is no relationship. That's exactly the point. They, the drama wants us to think that they yeah. have this really like powerful connection from when they were 10 years old and held hand once. <laughs> so... Oh, come on. And Okay, for one thing, yeah. um, children at 10 falling in love, uh, that last whatever it's is the kind thing. of... No, no, it may be a thing. It may be a thing. It's just the kind of thing I don't want a drama to ask me to take seriously. I'm sure mm. 10-year-olds can feel deep crushes and all of that stuff. But more importantly, Dami has spent 
10 years in the palace, ducking suspicion and like living a precarious life. And her connection with that boy that lasted all of a week at that point, I think, if that is not going to be something that is going to be at the top of her, I don't know, all-time connections list. If anything, her cousin Lee Hyun, who's so clearly the second lead right now, but I wish he was just a brother figure because he actually, like, their trajectory could have been so much better if he wasn't the designated second lead. (sighs) It would have made so much more sense for her to just, like... That would have been like the stronger bond because he was just quietly mm. there supporting her, protecting her, being her sounding board for a decade. And if you are going to... As you pointed out, he's Shinu from You're Beautiful. Yeah, basically. But the tragedy of this drama is that instead of the really interesting court parties that he started the first two episodes with, you made mm. me spend four episodes... With Rowan, like, prancing around the palace being super cute. <laughs> and again, I acknowledge super cute. But you don't find him cute because you resent the fact exactly. that you're not getting into story. And also, Rowan, I find, is really the weakest link in this drama. I don't know if this improves later. It does. But it does. he's not compelling. Like, I don't find him compelling. Do you mean the way that his character is written or do you mean his acting? Both. I think the way his character mm-hmm. is written, because I think Rowan is doing the best he can. He's just not being given a very weighty role. He's being made to do and say and look silly sometimes. And the problem is not the silliness. You can often have like, on the one hand, I find it really refreshing that he is the quote-unquote flower boy. Like, they keep putting <laughs> Rowan next to flower or make him carry flower or literally wear a flower. All the time. And he like gazes at flowers with moony eyes and he's just framed by flowers. So he's a literal Kotminam? Yes. (laughs) And I find this hilarious and adorable because whenever Dami, the crown prince Dami, whenever she sees him doing all of that, you can clearly see her eyes kind of melt because he's so adorable. And that makes sense. But if that was happening alongside the, the intense political drama that is absolutely in the background but for some reason completely vanished for four episodes if these two had been balanced out it would have been so enjoyable instead I felt like my time was wasted for two weeks yeah that's exactly how I felt and like to compare again with like Moonlight Drawn by Clouds also known as Lovers in the Moonlight, I think. Love in the Moonlight. Love in the Moonlight, sorry. <laughs> Trying to confuse it with Moon Lovers, <laughs> also known as Scarlet Heart Rio. Yeah. <laughs> Two completely different dramas. You know how they had that laggy portion in the third quarter where it was sort of doing that fan service-y, romance stuff? And it kind of lost a lot of people there. But, like, it had a solid eight episodes where it was just so good 11 it had 11 good episodes was it 11 oh okay (laughs) yeah i was stopped watching after episode 12 i finished (laughs) 12 and then i was like i'm done (laughs) right because it sort of wasted your time instead of giving you story that moved forward it sort of spun its wheels for a few episodes giving you this like cutesy relationship stuff which uh, not even relationship stuff like romantic visual romantic moments which are just it wasn't interesting I feel like romance needs to be tempered with actual plot otherwise like why are we doing this the romance has stakes because of the plot or the romance has to have depth and not this I met this boy when I was 10 years old and ooh crushy this is not this (laughs) this is just insults the intelligence of the viewer but you know what actually really got my goat was that 
they they like as soon as we had adult dami the show was like this is a gender bender people should not like forget that she's a girl so let's spend the right. rest, next four episodes constantly make reminding everyone yeah, she's so vulnerable and she's so girly and look how pouty her lips are and she's constantly giving herself away and you're just like i'm sorry uh, she, but it's like as as you said which by the way i quoted you in my video please go watch it after you've watched the ep- oh, okay. i'm talking to saya right <laughs> yeah. now but the rest of you can watch it too but you need to watch till like episode 8 before you watch the video so as as saya said everybody in the drama treats her like she's a woman in the joshan era even though they don't know that she's a woman in the joshan era which is the most frustrating thing ever right i mean actually if they completely took the romance out prince dami i'm just going to call her that Prince Dami's trajectory is actually really interesting because she has to stay meek. She has to stay quiet because she doesn't want to bring attention. Like she's already the crown prince, which is like as much attention as she can possibly tolerate, and she is hiding such a huge secret. She can be found out at any moment, and she's been doing this for a decade. So she, yeah, she mm-hmm. can't cause trouble. She can't become a large personality. All of that makes sense in retrospect, but when I'm watching the the show build her up, you're making her look like a complete like just so unsatisfying and just so disappointing as a protagonist however mm. i have complained so long i have to say this at this point in case like i don't know our listeners are like they hate everything episode like end of episode 6 beginning of episode 7 was a turning point 7 and okay. 8 they were what i wanted i'm not going to okay. go so far as to say brilliant just cause i am i, I have i have been burned <laughs> and i just do not want to give this drama big praises right now and mm-hmm. 9 and 10 kind of stayed on that and by 10 there was actually reason for the romance to make a little bit of sense however this drama needs external threat like this this entire group motley crew they need an external threat to battle for the story to come alive which absolutely happens in 7 and 8 And yeah, let's see. I mean, I'm slightly more optimistic about the second half now that I've seen the last two weeks. But I, yeah, severely burnt here. And you see, you were going to say something a bit earlier. Yeah, I was just going to say that for a romance to work well as like a main plot point of the drama, a the romance itself has to be sort of nuanced enough or like you know interesting enough in in the fact that you're like actually. sort of deconstructing this relationship and examining it and looking at what works what doesn't work what are these people's insecurities why you know like and it usually in that sense like it also takes you a little bit through like once they get together and the problems that they face like kind of like with Yumi cells and it also has to like be tied to the journey of the characters of the right. protagonists and if it's tied to the journey of the protagonists then it doesn't feel like Here's this drama about this person who's going through this thing. Oh, and also they're falling in love on the side. And then you get like this weird tonal whiplash of like a romance that just feels like it's tacked on because we want to have romance and we want to have like pretty camera shots and for the fans whatever. Instead of having something that like organically grows as the character is on their journey and like it sounds to me, I mean I haven't watched this show, but it sounds to me like they tried to start the romance too early. when they should have been building character. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. You know, like letting you get to know these people and what kind of makes them tick and what their conflicts are and then having them come together, mm-hmm. which I think would probably be more satisfying. I want to add something to that. That is a brilliant point. A and I think what of what would have worked really well is the mistake that the drama made was that they didn't show us the characters falling in love. It was almost as if, "Hey, we met 10 years ago as kids and therefore I like you." 
and that is the worst way to do romance that mm. is what they did here instead if they had taken the first 6 7 they have 20 episodes why did they think they were running out oh, of time 20 20 i i thought it was 16 too <laughs> well. and then i realized oh it's 20 damn <laughs> but they had plenty of time right yeah. so why didn't you just make these two become friends get to mm. know each other rediscover each other or just discover each other and become fond of each other like grow and give me reasons mm. to believe these two like each other don't just do the thing where you're yeah. like well i liked him when i was 10 and therefore at 21 i also like him right yeah like the basis of their relationship is too flimsy for you to be invested in and if you're not invested it makes you resentful when you're watching it i fast forwarded i never would fast forward that early in a show in fact on principle i don't fast forward i might speed it up but i wouldn't fast forward but like i ffed my way through that show like for two episodes hoping it would get better and when it got to plot it had spent so much time on this romance stuff that you actually didn't know what was going on in the plot because you'd forgotten in the midst of all those doe-eyed looks and that was annoying <laughs> the doe-eyed looks <laughs> and i was like texting barma like every three seconds while i was watching saying with all of my complaints and like I don't know what's going on. What's Basa been doing? What even is so bad about Rune being a what do you call it? Some uh, you know unofficial herbalist type dude. Pharmacist of some kind. <laughs> yeah. Joseph pharmacist. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> That sounds like a show that I would like yeah. to watch actually. <laughs> But I, I also have to add here that this show actually has like multiple cast, like multiple cast members with multiple plot lines going, and they are all relevant. Like the quiet bodyguard has his story, and it's actually an interesting story. But they don't; they're just cardboard cutouts for the first like six episodes. So you think that that mm. is how the rest of the story? No, they decide that they are only going to tell you these stories like halfway through when they are probably lost a bunch of people out of boredom. It's just yeah because the four episode rule I will allow a drama to take four episodes same but when you're forcing someone to take six that's asking too much of the viewer you're actually asking them to take eight because still six it's right. it's not oh it's not great <laughs> right yeah six I had dropped yeah. it unofficially but like you told me it got better but I still haven't picked it up again because I feel quite burned by this I, th- I think give it some time because right now you're probably still too mad to go into it like and give them a, like a fair <laughs> chance but yeah I also don't have time also wait until it finishes airing and then decide yeah. <laughs> based on people's True. reactions if you're yeah. not gonna if you don't have time now anyway like that's what I do I'll just mm. wait and see what people's reactions are and like one, one more note about the romance I feel like it's a case of putting the what is it the cup before the horse like you can't lead with romance if there's nothing compelling in the romance like you need to have dinner before you have dessert i'm mixing my metaphors <laughs> but they both make sense no and I, i think like one of the reasons that i really dislike childhood you know we were we were friends we knew each other as kids we were in love as kids whatever a long time ago we used to be friends <laughs> a long time ago We used to be friends, but I haven't seen you lately. At okay, all. Sorry. no more, no, no, Veronica Mars. Oh uh, yeah, because we know how that ended. Oh my god. Anyway, sorry. I'm actually looking forward to the like they're having a new season come up. If you haven't watched it, we're not talking about it. Watch what Veronica Mars? Oh, the latest Veronica Mars. Wait, are you talking about the movie or the new series? The series. Oh, you haven't watched the new series yet. Isn't this song from the OC? <laughs> this is the song. It might be from the OC, but it's also the theme song okay. of Veronica Mars. I know it from the OC. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> oh dear, Anissa, I had no idea we had such a divide. <laughs> 
I have. I tried to watch Veronica Mars. I just couldn't get into it. I'm sorry. Oh, Please what? forgive me. I watched oh. like four or five episodes with my sister, and I just we just couldn't get into it. I have to say, the first season is not the best. The second season is so good, though. I highly disagree. I think the first two seasons are just perfect oh, really? the way they are. They should not be touched or mocked or just like just leave them alone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's. We won't t- touch your precious Veronica Mars. Let's just get back to the point. Thanks for derailing us with the song reference, Saya. Sorry. That's my job today. Yes. I'm just kidding. So, yeah, my problem with childhood romances so often is that they use it as a shortcut mm-hmm. to create this artificial connection between the leads. And it's a lazy writing yeah, choice, exactly. you know? Like, it can be done well. Like, in Into the Ring, it's done really well. And they actually were just friends when they were kids but it adds an interesting layer to the story it's it's you know it creates tension it creates this like sort of relationship between their two families that has a really important part to play in the actual plot of the drama but it doesn't create a false like romanticized nostalgic love story straight out of the gate they still have to like get to know each other all over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in the beginning, she doesn't even know that he knows that they know each other as kids because he's changed his name. So like there's all this like Miles spoilers for Into the Ring doesn't really matter that much. But like it's not like this little bridge where you're just like, oh, like let's all skip like, to, you know, 10 episodes of character development. Just like <laughs> walk along this little plank and like, you know, I won't have to do so much work as a screenwriter. That's why it bothers me. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's all I wanted to the say. The last line of my notes as I sort of semi-abandoned episode six goes sigh a drama really is only as good as its writer oh 100% (laughs) and when I started watching k-dramas I used to follow actors and now I follow writers yes so true for their next projects yeah it makes you want to write a gender bender where the girl just flawlessly gets away with it and like you forget she's a girl and see this is I would genuinely love that it made me think of Jisung in Kill Me Heal Me it's possible. He could convince us he was a teenage girl. There is an actress out there, more than one, many actresses, who can convince us very easily. It's not about the actress. No, no, it's not. It's about the show, like how the show frames yeah. them and the way that the show wants you to view that particular character. I want a show to allow us to view them as men. Just let us do it. Show us it can be done. Uh, I'm just really annoyed by it. Everyone go and read Terry Pratchett's A Monstrous Regiment. <laughs> okay, so that was The King's Affection. So, Barma, you're watching Tali and Kamjatang, and I know you have strong feelings about it, and I had strong feelings after watching the trailer that I wasn't going to enjoy it, so I didn't even try watching it. But, like, what is it that you like about this show? What's working for you? Okay, so when we were doing the you know, what's up in drama land for Dali and, and okay, by the way, Dali and the Cocky Prince is like the anglicized name, but I really like Dali and Gamjatang. It it just works better. I have no idea why they decided to do the whole Cocky Prince thing. Such a strange title. Yeah. It, it's like anytime there is an actual Korean word, they are like, no, English speaking people would be so confused and just not watch. So therefore they are like, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to stick with Talian Gamjatang and the Gamjatang. So initially, we didn't know what this was going to be. We were just excited. I was excited <laughs> because of Kim Minju and Park Young, who was great in Devil's Judgment. I have really liked her since It's Okay to Not Be Okay. She's just, she was so adorable there. Yes, she was so good in that. So 
we kind of didn't know what to make of it. We thought it was going to be like a class thing that you have like the princess, which is like Park Young's character, Kim Dali. And then you have Jin Mohawk, whose dad used to run a Gamjatang, you know, a tiny restaurant, like a canteen. And then they created an entire corporation. So they are new money. And therefore, you know, like gosh, and like, I don't know, grubby and all of the things that you associate with new money. Tacky. Tacky. Yeah. And overly showy. Like Jin Mohawk wears this like probably gold watch that costs something like, I, I don't even know, $800,000? Some, some ridiculous amount of money. And he only wears it. That's a house. That's like two houses. Yeah. And he only <laughs> wears it as he tells his secretary because other people need to see that he's wearing it. Because the secretary's like, you might lose it. So let's like put it away. And he's like, but then what was the point of me buying it? <laughs> So it's it's stuff like that. And initially, like when people were reading the synopsis, I thought this is going to be a story about class difference. And that would have been an interesting story. But it's not. It's not about mm. class difference. It's more about bloodlines and adoptive families. Oh, interesting. And who is your true family? Like your adoptive father who has taught you the path of the life, has accepted you completely and has showed you a way to live your life in a way that that's just like the truest to you and whom you feel absolute connection with or you know the family who treats you as if your only worth is the money you bring in even though they are related to you by blood it's it's this thing that I rarely see K-dramas do because usually adoptive families and all of that is treated as you often have villains that okay it's not so much that you have villains but you have like a lot of times the adoptive family is not really in the picture and they're just treated as like a period in the this protagonist's life where they had to go and be outside the nation, but now they're back and Korea has embraced them again. Such WWW, Park Mogan. Exactly. Or like even like Vincenzo, her private life. Her private life, yes. Ryan Gold. There are so many examples. The only example of an adoptee not having that kind of idealized narrative is that one episode of Move to Heaven. That I've seen in K-drama. Exactly. And the thing is, Dali and Gamjatang, I just started with like the saddest aspect <laughs> of it possible is just, it hit me in the feels in so many ways. Let me talk about the good stuff. Actually, there's just no bad stuff, pretty much. The romance is solid. You see these two people start connecting and then them having a conflict, a misunderstanding, and then them reconnecting and then building an actual relationship while trying to solve the issue that they have. And it's just every exchange they have has meaning. It's building on previous exchanges. You know what? About 85% of this drama is carried on Kim and Jay's back. He does the persona of Jin Muhak in the most... It's almost beautiful the way he does it. He's just over the top in so many ways. But on the other hand, he's seriously earnest. I mean, some of the best dialogues in this drama goes to him, especially when he's talking about things like the value of money. There is my favorite scene between Dali and Muhak is probably when Dali is talking about having this event for her museum and she doesn't have the money for it. So... Muhak, who is kind of like a creditor of the museum, like he had lent money that he didn't get back. He's like, so where are you? Like right now they're trying to figure out the monetary situation because it's bad for the museum. He's kind of trying to be helpful. So 
he's like, so where are you getting the money to hold this event? And she's like, well, we'll find sponsors. They'll pay the bills. And Mohawk's immediate response is, so you're going to spend other people's money to have this fancy event that you can't afford to have. Mm. That's deceitful. And I can completely see how from Dali's perspective, it's just the norm. That's how museums usually sponsor things. And I can completely see from how, and, and completely highly agree with Mohawk's perspective that you're just wasting money when you have so many bills pending that you haven't paid. And you're going to borrow money from, not even borrow, you don't intend to pay it back. You're just going to take money from sponsors to have this fancy event to like publicize your museum. It's the value of money. Like these two have very different concepts of it. Dali has been brought up in not the lap of luxury, kind of lap of luxury, but she's also had an interesting background. Like this is a spoiler. Okay, actually, let's not go into the spoiler. I really want you guys to actually watch the drama, though I'm not selling it very well. You know what? This is one of those dramas that, that's really hard to talk about. It's not really about the story. It's about these two characters falling in love and they take like, almost the entire length of the drama to fall in love and they are friends in the middle and they have attraction happening and it's like there's a building of tension and Jin Mohawk is such a straight character like you cannot get this guy to like you can't trip him up by being deceitful around him it's not because he's so clever it's because he takes the right path like you can try mm. to deceive him by trying to portray something in some way. He will just go to the other person and be like, is this true? You tell me. He will have those conversations. He's not going to let misunderstandings fester. It's really refreshing. After the last thing I saw Kim and Jay in, that's really nice to hear because... What did you see Kim and Jay in? The music drama. What was it? With the classical musicians. What was it called again? Uh, oh, Brahms with Puck and Bin. Oh, yes, do you like Brahms? I love that one. <laughs> I mean, I know you love that one, but like, I understood why they couldn't communicate, but yeah. it was like suffocating for me to watch them. Yeah, you know, having trouble like that. Again, this is why I love this actor so much. If you watch him in Do You Like Brahms, and then you watch him in this, again, two different guys. Do you like Brahms? He was such a repressed guy. He just wouldn't open his mouth and just speak, and you really wanted him to speak, but. You also understood why he couldn't. He's also really earnest about his family. Like his father is probably the character I hate the most in the drama. He's not a villain. He's not portrayed as a bad guy. But he's such an epic fail as a father, as a husband, as everything. He's just a horrible human being. And this boy is nothing but filial to him. And it's just... And you can see his reasons why. And there is there comes a point where his father does something and he's like, why are you making it so hard for me to understand you and love you? And he says this in, in such a heartbreaking way. And his father just stares at him because he realizes, oh, shoot, this is a like he my son is being really serious. He never sounds like this. Just that shift in Kim Binji's tone is just it hits the heart. Okay, I'm beyond fangirling about Kim and Jay. Park Yong completely kills it in this drama. She is, yes, an out-of-touch princess. She's this genius prodigy, this art scholar. But she's also really quickly learning about the realities of life and how an art museum is also a business and not just a fancy place that she can hold like really high conversations in. She learns them really quickly and she tries her best by her employees because they're in a bad financial situation. 
and she is trying her hardest and you can see it and one of the things i love the most about this drama is the characters make sensible decisions like when you can see something is happening and there is an obvious thing the characters can do to solve it they will try to do and solve that if it means selling something they will sell that if it means having a conversation they will have that conversation the conflict is never manufactured the conflict is almost like a natural progression of this kind of a story and also the characters around them are so delightful without going too much into spoilers i just have one character i really want to mention because as we were talking about earlier the tendency of k dramas to always depict step brothers and adopted brothers in the light of oh they have second lady feelings for our heroine because they are not really brothers they don't do that here they have every opportunity but they have wang hee playing an adopted brother to dali and he's just her brother i love that he's like he's perfectly positioned to play the second lead instead he's just he's just the brother and it's a a really sweet relationship and he actually has his own arc and like i really like wang hee anyway but it just i was so happy to see it this drama does it actually does a really good job of putting the romance first without it being you know meaningless and insubstantial and just it doesn't collapse because it's again like i said it progresses naturally it happens almost inevitably because these two are thrown together and not because of some past connection somewhere mm, as we were discussing <laughs> and final word these two can they have chemistry they they have chemistry yes they do they do I like the understated way in which you say this with all of the gravitas of overstatement. I could scream it, but I thought she's holding back. She's holding back everyone. That's what that tone means. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay, so that was it for my fan girling for Dali and the Kamjata. And now we're going to go into a round of quickly sampling a couple of dramas that just came out. So I've sampled two. I think I'm the only one who sampled them in this week because it's been a busy week and the reason I have sampled two is because I was waiting for my computer to do things in the 3 hours that it took to do things like save a project. I watched an episode of drama. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's rough. <laughs> well, I guess I got to watch drama, so the complaining has to be somewhat mitigated by that, right? So of course by now if you guys have heard what's up in drama land you may know that I was somewhat looking forward to this drama called Happiness the one with Park Hyung-sik and Han Hyo-ju so that's ed two episodes now she is doing the understatement <laughs> I feel like I need to to sort of get my dignity back <laughs> <laughs> We abandoned our dignity on this podcast long time ago it's okay <laughs> You know sometimes With K-drama being so ubiquitous and widespread these days, I'm convinced at some point somebody I know is going to listen to this and be like, "Huh. So that's what you really think." Well, my mother has been listening since the beginning, so it's totally too late for me. <laughs> okay. So firstly, the really interesting thing about happiness is that it is situated in a post-COVID world. COVID happened in this drama world, which is actually not only very interesting it's also vital to the premise uh-huh. because you've got people sort of emerging from you know covid mentality lockdown the anxiety of a pandemic 
of infectious diseases and the extra level of being on like a high alert for any of these things. And so you've got things like people talking about wearing masks all the time and make sure you sanitize your hands and you've got to wash your hands for 20 seconds with soap for 20 seconds before you do so and so. So there's all of this kind of familiarity of the lives that we've been living for the last year and a half. But also it kind of does make you feel a bit anxious. I didn't realize I would feel this way because, you know, this is a discussion that has been happening in the last kind of year or so between artists, between writers, filmmakers and all of that is how do you deal with a massive destabilizing event like a pandemic in storytelling? Mm. Like, do you acknowledge that it happened? Mm. Do you pretend it didn't? Because so far, all the dramas I've watched, 2020 has been a normal year. Yeah. Actually, there's there was one other drama where they mentioned it lightly. I can't remember which one it was right now, but it was quite a recent one. You know, the one the one where she like, yes, Park Min Young, she goes to her hometown and she falls in love with the bookstore guy. Warm something. Yeah. I'll find you when the weather is nice. Yes. And it was the beginning of the pandemic. And there's this one scene in a restaurant where like the writer is talking to her editor and they get served something. And he looks at the server and he's like, shouldn't she be wearing a mask in these times? Oh. That's the only reference I've ever seen. Interesting. That's why it like I like memorized the scene. Like it stayed in my mind. I didn't remember that one, but there has definitely been like a recently made drama where they mention it, or you know, just oh, because of COVID. Mm. But it's not part of the story. Whereas happiness is sort of founded on the anxiety of infectious diseases. So that's the first thing. But then, so I have a variety of thoughts. So this show, do you mind if I give you spoilers for basically the first episode? I don't mind. Yeah, first episode's good. I've watched part of it. Okay, so it might also be part of the second. So it's like opening week spoilers. Have you guys watched iZombie? I know Boromir has. No. Okay, so in iZombie, what you have is like zombieism is a disease. It occurs through the particular interaction of a drug and a virus I think I can't remember but basically you become a zombie through the combination of particular circumstance and you guys remember Search last year the one with Jang Dong Yoon and Crystal that drama so that one also which I didn't finish watching but that had this premise of like a human rabies kind of thing so happiness is similar in that sense, in that you've got this disease which turns people into vampire slash zombies or vampire zombies or zombie vampires. I don't know. So people get this disease and they have a thirst for human blood and they just go at people, but they go for the neck. And yet they behave in very zombie-like ways. And it's transmitted in the similar way to it to how it is in a zombie. So it's this weird... Like, the show hasn't decided if it's a vampire drama or a zombie drama. Why choose one when you can have both? <laughs> well, it's pulling double duty in this sort of ad hoc kind of way. Like, it doesn't feel very organized. But I also feel like it will organize. Like, it's putting its chips down and it hasn't quite put everything in place yet. So it's spread by scratching. And if you get bitten, you die because you're eaten by the zombie people. But also they talk about it as a kind of a human rabies thing. So it's like a mad human disease rather than a mad dog disease. And so 
I don't know. I guess maybe we can expect like a Max Rager party, which is the weird energy drink in iZombie <laughs> that makes people turn into zombies. Except instead of it being like on a sealed exclusive yacht, it's in this apartment building, which is like the Snowpiercer building or something. Anyway, <laughs> we haven't got there yet. So the story actually starts a little earlier than the outbreak of this disease. So you've got the world emerging from COVID. Then you begin to see these isolated happenings of these bizarre maulings. And then you realize that it's actually much bigger. And Han Hyoju is a Spec Ops person. <laughs> What's the proper name for them? She's in Spec Ops. And so she does this sort of top secret government stuff, I think. And Park Young Shik is an average sort of narcotics detective, I think. Oh, and they have a backstory, which is really cute. So their cute backstory is that people thought that Park Young Shik was going to commit suicide when he was a teen, and she goes there and saves him, except he wasn't going to, and she pushes him off the building, and it's really funny. And so they bonded over that. And now she wants an apartment, so they're fake married. This is very spoilery, but it's also, you can see it all coming. So you've got this kind of fake contract relationship type of thing. Wow, it's a contract relationship I drama know. too? Wow, okay. <laughs> but they're, they're really good friends and their friendship is really nice to see as well. And it's not necessarily romantic, but they are, they're sharing this house because she, it's her dream to have her own home in this apartment building, which is probably about to become a bloodbath and it's terrifying. There's just something very uneasy in in the drama as it goes on. You remember the poster you were talking about, Barma? Mm. Man, that will mean a lot to you as you carry on. I knew it! Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's this weird combination of dark and upbeat. Like, you even kind of understand why they call it happiness. Because, like, there's a voiceover, I think it's from Han Hyoju earlier, where she's like, what she's seeking in life is the particular happiness of having the certain things that she that are her dream to get like she wants her own house and is this the beginning of happiness and of course the world is about to go insane for her so it there's you know that sort of black irony and it's very uneasy and I strongly suspect that my commitment to the show is is because of the lead actors and I'd forgotten how good Han Hyoju is and how much I like her. She's so good. She's just very personable on the screen. Mm. You see her and you love her. Yes. And I think I'm actually more committed to it for her than for Park Young-shik right now. So Surprisingly. I'm definitely <laughs> sticking with it for now. Okay. But zombies are not my thing. I'm not happy with the zombie aspect. Okay, but tell us more about Park Young-shik. Because, come on, you didn't get into this because of Han Yee-cho. Oh, yeah, he's... <laughs> right. I mean, he's he's Park Young-shik. He's great. But he hasn't had a lot to do yet. We don't see him as much. But I'm sure he'll do more later. He's very lovable. He's also no longer that kind of, you know, the slightly fey, ethereal young man that he was before he went to army. He's filled out. Man's got massive <laughs> shoulders now. Oh, how weird. Yeah. Interesting. He's like this giant... <laughs> So they're just both very, oh, you stay for them. And what's his name? Kimujin. Mm. That's his name, right? Kimujin turns out to be a pretty important character. And the way that they all work together is very interesting. So I'm enjoying all of that. I'm just not sure about the zombie vampire premise. <laughs> <laughs> 
You have actually kind of convinced me to give it a try now. It's really interesting. I'm looking forward to the rest of yeah. it. I started watching it and then other stuff happened. So I haven't exactly dropped the first episode, but it wasn't grabbing me. But it seems interesting enough mm. for me to at least finish the first episode. Let's see how that works out. It does start slow. And it takes time to introduce the premise that is coming in. Like, you know, in some shows that they just drop you in it. In this one, they're building it slowly. So they're building the unease as well. Mm. I think that works. And this that's very sort of ungiro, yeah. right? That's the director's style. Mm. So I'm going to stick with it and see how it goes with trepidation. Okay. Yeah. So that's Happiness, opening week episodes one and two. And the last one I'm going to talk about that I have sampled one episode of because it's just aired, like literally aired last night. Is I'm very interested in this. <laughs> yes. Melancholia. Yeah, I think we are all yes. very intrigued by this. Mm. You know what? I really, really like it. Ah. Okay. Episode one, at least. But tell us more. <laughs> okay. That's it. So I was like, that's it. See you next time. <laughs> Firstly, like, I feel a little bit better about myself that the idea of it being a teacher-student romance really does gross me out because <laughs> I was worried it wouldn't. I'm always worried about myself. So Ida Hyun plays this, as we talked about in our preview episode, he's a kid who went off to MIT at a young age and then he dropped out and nobody really knows what happened to him. But he is definitely a mathematical prodigy slash genius, like, he he just he works in a different way and Im Soo-jung plays a teacher who is also extremely mathematically competent I don't know if she's a genius but let's say she is because maths <laughs> <laughs> so the foundation of the show is this sort of love of mathematics which is actually really interesting as someone who's terrified of numbers in any form because and you know this made me think of how in Squid Game Hwang Dong-hyuk, the director of Squid Game, was talking about how he chose to simplify the games so that people didn't spend so long thinking about the game. So I thought of that as I was watching this because there's a lot of maths in this and I don't understand any of it. It's funny because I read some of like the opening week sort of promo interviews where the director and the leads were talking about the drama and they were like, we know it's about math, but like, don't worry, the math is not going to be difficult or like they were really, you could tell they were really concerned yeah. that the math was going to be a turnoff for people. Yeah. And then somebody on Twitter was like, I don't think you need to worry about the math. It's probably like the teacher student romance is going to turn off people. <laughs> Which, like, fair. But also, the math thing is also fair. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah. So she arrives at this very exclusive private school, having been headhunted for it. So the school is meant to be doing things to make itself more accessible and whatnot. But of course, it being a very exclusive private school, that's not what they want to do at all. It's just PR. Yeah. So her reputation is that she took completely ordinary kids and turned them into, like, mathletes who, you know, complete in math Olympics. Which I didn't know was a thing, but I mean, according to the show it is, but probably in real life it is as well. But It is. They have math Olympiads. I participated <laughs> in it. Of course you do. I, I feel like you would really appreciate this, P. Especially as someone with an affinity for maths <laughs> that I don't possess, but I'm jealous of. I did science Olympiads, so I'm not surprised that there are math Olympiads. <laughs> hid in the library so I wouldn't have to talk to other human beings okay that's the extent of my like academic prowess in high school <laughs> but I did read a lot of books so you know yes. we all win <laughs> so as she enters the school she's asked to form the special advanced class and she decides to enter people by giving them a particular test 
And, oh, this is a spoiler, shall I tell you it? No. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's obvious. Okay. And Idehyun is the only person who is able to solve it. That is not even a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. I've told you the non-spoiler version. That's like Goodwill Hunting opening act. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know that he's the one who solved it. And they actually have a previous meeting, a kind of an accidental crossing of paths where they're on the same train and they end up mixing their bags up by accident. So they arrange to meet up afterwards to swap their bags back. And this is before she knows he's a student and before he meets her as a teacher. And so most of the episode passes with them never realizing they're in the same school because they're contacting each other for a different reason. And he's very closed off. He is not interested in forming relationships with or friendships with other people. But he has an intense relationship with numbers and mathematics and all of the attending aspects of that. Like he, he's a photographer who takes pictures of like things that have mathematical appeal, right? Yeah. So that is what I really like. I really like that they have made these two people rich characters who have an intense interest in something that isn't each other. And I'm worried, especially having seen the preview, that they're going to throw that away. But I'm also a little bit secure that it's not going to be what we think, what we were afraid it was going to be. Shall I just tell you what was in the preview? Because it's basically what we've guessed. Yeah. That it was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Supposed scandal is that they spent a night together. What the preview shows you is that they were in school all night writing mathsy stuff on the board <laughs> at mm. a very, you know, socially distant. So they're people who are lost in their passion for their topic, their subject. And yeah. so this is so I have thoughts about this. Like I think it should be allowed and okay for people to have these rich complex and very intense relationships that are not romantic or lovely in any way. And like the idea that there's only one way to have a relationship or worse, that there's only one way we want to see it, uh, that just bothers me. Like, you know, not everything has to be sarang. And also, like, I like Ida Hyun a lot, but I'm not sure about this determination to keep pairing him with older women while he's in school uniform. Couldn't this have just been a really amazing story about a mentor and a mentee? Exactly. With these two actors who are so good, like, they could have done an amazing job. Like, it doesn't have yeah. to be a romance just because it's a man and a woman. Yeah. And, like, I hate that we have to strip away the simplicity of that relationship, the bond that they have, which is their affinity for mathematics, that we have to strip the simplicity away from it and to force like a real world kind of ugliness on it. I find that really sad. And I think if the drama discussed that, it would be really good. But also there's going to turn into a romance it, after all. Right. But they meet four years later. So I don't know if that helps. Like he won't be in school uniform anymore, at least. Yeah. So it's it's like Anissa said in our What's Up in Drama Land. It's like they have done Luna romances and done Luna romances. And at this point, they are like, well, what can we do that is new in Luna romance? Mm -hmm. And like, let's expand the age gap even more. And like, let's have the boy, you know, I just... It it's gross. <laughs> I feel it needs to be said by me. It needs to be said by me. You can take that line out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, while absolutely some that kind of scandal can happen, especially by malicious dreamer mongers, 
usually an age difference like that in our society gives people enough like they they have like we automatically assume a generational gap and don't put an ugly cast on it like that it doesn't come easily unless somebody's really maliciously spreading rumors about them because they have it out for them because yes you're going to have teachers not stay up all night mm. with their teenage student like because no teacher gets paid enough to do that right. not because they are <laughs> i mean let's say it was right before the exams and they were really studying hard and late into the night nobody's going to just put that kind of cast on it especially when it's like this like special math teacher that you recruited from another school mm. because she's so good and like yeah. this little math genius that everybody knows went to MIT mm. when he was 10 that's not like the most natural conclusion to come to when they're together like that at this point, he's not presented as that math genius. That's kind of his past. Right now, people... Th he lost his memory. I think he has some kind of... I don't know what happened, but at this point, he's sort of the school the failure. Lord thickens and not, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, this sounds messy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but the actual age gap between the characters does not seem to be so great because she's a young teacher and he's... They said he's a sophomore, but I'm not sure... Like, that would make him, what, 16? I'm sure he's older than that. Like a second year student? I think so. Like high school sophomore. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like any of the characters are that young. They seem more like sort of 17, 18 year olds. I mean, they're probably 18 in Korean age. Because when they graduate from high school, they'll be 20 mm. in oh, Korean age. Yeah. Okay. But I, I find it interesting that they're leaving that up to our imagination when they have very clearly specified that the teacher is young. Because Im Soo-jung is in her late 30s, early 40s. Is she? Yeah, yes. so it's not a natural assumption. Maybe the drama didn't indicate that and I just interpreted that as her age because she looks like she's 25. Yeah, she does. But that was one of the things that came up for me when I saw this like premise and this casting is that like in real life, the gap... I mean, he's not as young as he's playing, but mm. she is... I was assuming she would play something similar to her own age and she is in her late 30s. Well, maybe she is. Given her career, though, it kind of makes yeah. sense that she would be in her 30s or late 30s, like the kind of career you're talking about. So they say she graduated from the same school that she's now teaching at in 2005. So if she was 18 or like Korean age 20 in 2005, let's say early 30s then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, then it is a bigger age gap than I thought. Okay. <laughs> I really thought that she was like 20 something. But but honestly, the age gap isn't the problem for me so much as it's yeah. the teacher-student relationship. Yes, I agree. Yeah. But I think the scandal is going to end with like her leaving school and him doing his own life. And then four years later, they meet. Yeah. Because it's it's in 2017 right now. But again, it's the same issue that I've always yes, had with Nuna romances from the <laughs> beginning of my K-drama watching career is that like the woman always has to get humiliated or like yeah. degraded in some way in order for her to be worthy of dating this young guy. And I just don't get it. Anyway. Yeah. I I'm like, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with this, like, so I won't keep like harping on it. I think we talked about this again in the WhatsApp is that we did. very similar thing that happened was in Doctors where there was a misunderstanding slash scandal. And but I actually had more of a problem there because they had a longer period of time for her to idealize him as a teacher. So even though they met like some 12 years later when she's like 30, she still has that idealized version of him in her head. And she is a full-grown woman. She treats him like an adult man, but she still has that 
hesitation as you would. They also don't have a romance until she actually gets to know him better as a person. Like the romance takes time to get off the ground in a real way as opposed to residual crush. But you know what the problem is? Even when they meet again, they're not equals. He's still her teacher. True. Oh, but he's her superior at work. He's literally yeah. her teacher. Like she assists him because he's assigned to her to teach her. Like she's a resident. Okay. It's exactly the same dynamic. Oh, she's a resident. She's not a fully fledged doctor. She was a fully fledged fellow. She gave up the position to come and work in this hospital where mayhem happens as right. a final year resident again. She basically gave up her fellowship just so she could come and work in this hospital. So she technically has seniority but not in this hospital. Oh, I see. But the reason that she came to that hospital is also like, there is a reason for that, which is not to do with medicine. Yeah, absolutely. But that is digressing away from our point, which is that the teacher-student relationship stays even like mm -hmm. years later when they meet. And he asks her out and she's just flabbergasted. She's never had a relationship. Anyway, I have a lot of problems with how that, that thing panned out, even though... Again, Saya, I'm not panning doctors. I recently rewatched it and I enjoyed it. It's it's just how you, like my weird mind works. I guess it's the the mental acrobatics that we do to make things okay for us to watch when there are problems. Yeah, I rant about it to you guys. <laughs> I actually because I rewatched Doctors recently and I know this is not about Doctors, but I think that yes, it does have problems, but I also think it did its best to deal with some of the problems. So I feel in Melancholia that the equality that you mentioned, Anissa, yes, she is humiliated, but I think both of them are outcasts. Like he starts off as an outcast and she becomes one. I don't know how that's going to play out. It could be horrible. It could be good. We'll see. Yes. Just depends on execution as usual. Always. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Melancholia. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about is Maya Jishi, which I have, as I mentioned, my mom and I have been like slowly watching it for a year at least. Even before that, we watched one episode like a couple times and then we just forgot about it. But then like for a year, we've been like slowly <laughs> making our way through it. And I think part of it was it does start out difficult. Like it took us some time to like get into it and... I could tell from the beginning that it was really well-written, excellently made show with amazing acting. I didn't like anyone except for Lee Sung-gyun's character. That kind of lasted for a while. <laughs> and then now I love everybody. But it took me a long time to like warm up to the characters. And my mom just like hated the heroine for like the first half of the drama. <laughs> but now she's like, I really like her. <laughs> so we had like a little bit of a growth journey. But yeah, I mean, I'm on episode 13. We're on episode 13 now. We're loving it. It's so good. Everyone else in the entire world has already said how good Maya Jishi is. So I don't need to like add that to the conversation because it's been said so many times. But I just want to say like, it's a really nice show to watch as like the weather is getting colder and we're like hibernating in our homes because it gets dark at like six o'clock. And, four o'clock. Oh, yeah, you're right. 4.30 for us. It's just really warm and sad at the same time. And so this time I was getting some like Misang vibes. It just does that. It's like the epitome of slice of life genre. It's taking that to the highest level. Perhaps some melancholia to it. <laughs> there is some melancholia. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say I've been loving that. And it's the only thing I'm really watching right now. Actually, as I was watching Melancholia, I was thinking of Maya Jishi because although I haven't watched it, I know that one of the sort of enduring discussions in the fandom about Maya Jishi is that, you know, is 
the relationship between Ayu and Isangyun a romantic one or not. And I know there's like a divide, like some people see yeah. it as romantic and some people don't. And I would really like Melancholia to do that. So that's why like I'm looking at Melancholia thinking I want you to be like Maya Jishi. That would be lovely, actually. I'm afraid it won't. Yeah. 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 I think what's so beautiful about Maya Jishi is him sort of waking up out of this fog of like constantly living his life for other people and just being a really decent person, but also like it's slowly killing him and her finally learning to, you know, she's had such a traumatized and horrible life and her just finally like learning to believe that other people can actually be good and that she can trust them and that she can rely on them. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can do like a spoil the act afterwards because there's this particular scene that I want to talk about, but I don't want to like yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. But anyway, it's just that also like for me, you know, I'm like all about the dialogue and the dialogue is like so chewy and delicious and like substantial and it feeds me and I love it so much. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's my Ajashi up till wherever I've seen. Oh, you made, you made <laughs> me nostalgic. And now I want to, I just finished my saying. So now I, I'm actually in the perfect mood to go back and watch my audition. Yeah, and a shout out to Yuna, who's been telling me to watch this for like four years or however long it's been since three years. <laughs> bring her on the spoiled deck. I will. I have to. I have to bring <laughs> Yuna on for that one. Okay. I think that wraps up this yak, right? Yes. Yes, it does. It does. Wow, we got through a lot. Uh, so I still haven't finished the jokes that I got from Lena and Zayd. Can we do one? Oh, oh, let's. Yeah, After a long sure. time, I'm ready. But I'm not sure my brain's up to it, as long as it doesn't involve calculus. Oh. Okay, so this one is from Lena. Why did the students eat their homework? Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I don't it's know. very relevant to the topic, though. <laughs> <laughs> students and homework. Because oh. their dog was sick. Oh. It's not actually related to the dog know. ate my homework thing. Oh, but good guess. <laughs> Oh, because their homework was to eat something. No. That's not bad, Saya. <laughs> no? Okay. Sorry. But Anissa said no, so now I'm sad. <laughs> I would give you the point. <laughs> but it's not funny. It's just a logical explanation. Okay, so their homework was to sample chocolate bars, so they did. Okay, do you give up? That's actually close. <laughs> yeah. There's something yes. close in what you just said, by the way. The chocolate bars. Okay, because their teacher told them it was a piece of cake. Oh. oh! So you were kind of on track with like the sweet treat. You I know. was going too straight, not lateral enough. I'm sorry, not lateral enough. <laughs> Thank you for the joke, Lena. That was excellent. And we. Thank you, Lena. Sorry. Yeah. I'll make her listen to this part so that she'll be happy. It was, it was great. great. It was really great. So. Let us know how you like this episode. Give us your thoughts. And you can reach us on Twitter on our Dramas Over Flowers account at Dramas Overflow. And you can find me personally on Twitter at FestaFaster. You can find me at NotNowSaya. And you can find me at Anissa Khalifa underscore. And you can also find us on Instagram at Dramas Over Flowers underscore. And email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. We're going to be having some assignments for you for the end of the year. So definitely check out our social media and see what we're asking for you to send in for our year end yak. Fish us out of your spam folders, please. (laughs) (laughs) And you can get updates if you sign up for our newsletter. The link is in the show notes. And you can find us on Facebook. Just search Dramas Over Flowers. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net. 
Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. That's a wrap. Bye. 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 Bye.